Good morning, church family. It's good to be here with you. If you would uh, go to Galatians chapter 5 while I get ready here. If you're ever wondering why I look at my phone, it's because I have no sense of time when I'm up here, and I think that's probably pretty clear to some of you. Uh, and I can't really read the clock back there, and so I have to actually time myself so that if we're here after an hour, I should just stop it. Um, Galatians chapter 5. I have one announcement, too. Uh, more details will be to come, but just especially for the men, for you all to be uh, getting ready. We will be having a book study. Uh, starting at the beginning of the year. And so if you were a part of the Calvin study with the institutes that we were doing uh, Saturday mornings uh, a little bit ago and you enjoyed that, we hope that this will be, uh, you know, fill a little bit of a gap in that, uh, though probably not the same. Uh, we still hope that it will be helpful. And so Josh Creasy and Neil Klotzen will be helping lead that. And if you are interested, we'd love for you to join. And so uh, more to come, but I just want you to be prepared, be thinking about um, how to grow in that, and it'll be a blessing to you to be growing in the things of God. Galatians chapter 5. This morning we will be covering 4 through 6. I'm going to read 2 to 6 in a second. Uh, but it's just some structure for you as we read. Really three main kind of phrases from the passage that we're going to study. And those are, verse 4, you have fallen away from grace... All right, what does that mean? We're going to look at the hope of righteousness that we have. And lastly, we will look at verse 6, faith working through love. So that is our hope is to study that in God's word. It would help us to know God better and to apply these things to our hearts. So let us pray. Father, we ask that you would um, be a help to us this morning. Lord, we know that none of our lives... No part of our salvation depends on us and the things that we can do, but everything depends on you and everything hinges on the work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. And so, Father, we want to stand on that firmly and we want to know how to live as Christians that believe that with faith and that demonstrate that with acts of love. So, Lord, would you help us? Would you open our eyes? Would you humble us to... Um, bow down to your word and what it says about you, and would you help us to pursue you more, that we would behold the true Jesus and love him and treasure him with all of our hearts. So, Father, be, be with us and help us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Verse 4, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. All right, let's look at that phrase. You have fallen away from grace. What does that mean? 
And I think it's a special phrase for us to consider, especially because a lot of us are coming from a framework um, in thinking through also terms and biblical doctrine of perseverance of the saints, right? So we believe that God will preserve his people. So if that is the case, then what does it mean? How can somebody fall away from grace if they're in God's arms? But let's define that. What is perseverance of the saints? One definition is that those who have been born again, so those whom God has justified and regenerated, given a new heart, they will continue to trust in Jesus and live by faith for all of eternity. Right now, that is not a license to do whatever you want. Right? People can take this doctrine and just think that it means that I can do whatever I want whenever I want. And it's not because that means you have a new heart. It means that those whom God has saved will actually persevere in his grace until the end. We don't have time to study all of this doctrine. That's not the point for this morning. But if you want to study it a little bit more, if you're still like, I'm not sure that I've heard that much before. I still feel like I would like to be strengthened. Let me just give you some passages, especially if you're taking notes and you just want to go back later. Four passages for you to look at later this week. Romans 8.30. Romans 8.30. John 3.15. John 6.39. In John 10, 27 to 29. All of these and more passages of Scripture testify that once God has chosen somebody and has brought them into his family, God will keep them as his. And then nothing can snatch them out of his hand. It means that those whom Jesus shed his blood are actually forgiven and not at risk of losing Christ's advantages. And it's important to know that this is something that God does. This is not something that you do. You cannot do this yourself. Your perseverance in the faith depends on God and his faithfulness, not yours. Now, this should be of so much comfort to you, right? Just so much comfort that it depends on God. The truth is, is if it depended on you, if you could actually lose your salvation, all of you would. All of you would. And if even just a little small part of your salvation depended on you and how much work and how much good you would do, you would be found wanting. And you know that as you look at yourself. It does not depend on you. It depends on God. And so when you have to, if you have come to God with faith, and you trust that he's able to forgive all of your offenses, you also trust and you know that he's the one who's going to carry you for the rest of time. Just as he was gracious to bring you into his family and to teach you about himself, that he will keep you there. So now, does that contradict what verse 4 says? How can somebody fall away from grace? How do we reconcile what we see in Scripture with this, and actually there's a few other passages that sometimes give us trouble and that may shake our confidence in the fact that can we actually have confidence that we are safe in God's arms forever. And let me just read you. I meant to have these passages up on the screen, so that's also not Austin's fault. 
the passes are just uh, falling short of this morning. But, so that's on me. Um, but let me just read them to you. Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. And it reads, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. In Matthew 7, 21 to 23, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. How can someone prophesy and do great works for God and not be saved? Looking at the Hebrews passage, how can somebody be enlightened and taste the heavenly gift? How can someone share in the Holy Spirit and taste the goodness of the Word of God and then fall away? Okay, do we have a contradiction? Can you be in God's family and out of God's family? No, we stand that God's Word is true. There's no contradiction here. What we have here is the reality that there are some who will experience some of God's blessings and graces, and they will actually look like they belong to him when they were never really his. All right, we know that we, we can't understand the things of God unless the Spirit reveals them to us. And God in his sovereignty may give to some a level of understanding of the things of God, but yet never be saved. Right? We all know people who have an understanding of what the Bible says, and yet we know that, as far as we can tell, there's no saving faith in them. God may actually allow some people to experience the blessing of being a part of a church, serving Him. They may even get a taste and appear as if they're sharing in the Spirit without actually having saving faith. This is also what Matthew says, 15, 8. Jesus says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In 1 John 2, 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they, are, they're, they all are not of us. This is why it's so important not to put any confidence in the flesh and in your works. Your works are deceiving. Your works can deceive people around you. Your works can even deceive yourself. So if you trust in what you can do and you think highly of yourself because of the great things that you're doing and you think God is pleased with you, recognize that there are many who will prophesy. There are many who will do great things for God and yet not have saving faith. You may do great things for God, but if your heart is not right with God, if you don't depend on him fully as the only hope for your salvation, he will cast you aside. 
All right, there's no, op- there's no in between. You see that one of these two are true of you. It will be true when you die. Either you will face judgment and Jesus will say, I never knew you, depart from me. Or he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Those are your two options. What will Jesus say to you? And why? And if your answer is not that he'll be pleased not by anything that you've done, but because of what Christ has done for you, then you've missed the mark. Faith in Christ is all that matters. Faith in Christ is what makes us acceptable before Jesus. Faith in Christ is what makes us a pleasing servant. Who will represent you before God? That Jesus or your own works? This matters greatly, and especially for those of you who have grown up in the church. This matters for you young ones who are a part of a Christian family and are experiencing a lot of the blessings of growing in the things of God and understanding a lot of the things about the Bible. Because there may be some who are still trusting that you are right with God because you prayed a prayer once in a long time ago. Or maybe you were trusting in that one emotional experience that you had. You felt a little comfort from God. It must be that you're good and you're right with God. What does your salvation depend on? It depends on one moment. Okay, and that one moment is not that prayer, that feeling. That moment is when Jesus took your sins upon himself and died on the cross for you and paid the penalty fully and dealt with them forever. That is what your salvation hinges on. And so unless you have faith that that is what has saved you, you still need to seek God. And he can't be found. So seek him. Seek him. Trust in him. Trust in what he says in his word. If you base your confidence in anything else, you're in danger of falling away from grace. Young ones, again, don't squander the blessings that you have of being a part of a Christian family. Don't squander the blessings of having Christian parents who are teaching you about God. You have a gift that so many do not have. And so, will you actually make Christ profitable to you? And will you believe on Jesus? Believe on him for your full pardon. Yet, at the same time, I know many of you, many of us struggle with assurance of salvation, whether that is from time to time or daily. And how can you live, right, with confidence and not despair? You do that by you stopping your eyes from looking inwardly all the time and fixing your eyes on Jesus. In other words, you press on. You press on as you remember what Christ has done. It depends not on you. If it did, you would be lost. It depends on his faithfulness, and he will not let you perish. 
He will not let anything snatch you out of his hand. So run to him and let his spirit actually bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. Let God do that work in you. Persevere to the end. Don't lose hope when things get hard. When trials come, when it's really difficult to live at home, God has given you something great to look forward to as the fuel to your perseverance. Now, what is that? I'm really glad you're asking because that's our second point. The hope that we have is the hope of righteousness. The hope of righteousness. Verse 5, it reads, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. That's what helps us. God has actually been kind to give you help. When, you're, when things are hard, you're not without help. God actually cares for his children and wants to give them help. And one of your helps is the hope that you have in the coming righteousness, in true righteousness. Because the hope as a Christian is the fact that righteousness comes through Jesus. Now, many of you, I think, unfortunately, live as if your reward at the end of life is just to avoid condemnation. You live as if your goal is just to avoid hell. Plain and simple. You're living just to avoid judgment and neglect the fullness of what God is calling you to. He's calling you to be a part of his family. And so you settle for too little. You settle for just no hell. If I just don't get hell, I'll be fine. Is that what God has called you to? Is that the hope that you have? Just no suffering? No suffering is great, but there's something so much greater than just no suffering. Jesus didn't save you just so you could be mildly comfortable. Jesus didn't die on the cross just so you wouldn't have to be inconvenienced anymore. Don't make Christ unprofitable. He came to give you a living hope. This hope of righteousness. Because whether you know it or not, sin is your biggest problem. It's not that diagnosis. It's not that family member. It's not your financial situation. Sin is your biggest problem. And this morning, I'm going to focus on three ways that sin affects you. I'll just give them to you. First is, sin is your biggest problem because it is the source of all of your problems. Two, sin is your biggest problem because of the indwelling sin that lives inside of you, that plagues you. And three, it actually keeps you from treasuring God. So first, it is the source of all of your problems. Your sin against God is the judgment that stands over you, over every human being. And if that's not dealt with, you will face God's wrath forever. So for every man, every woman, that is the question. You, are stand, you will stand before God one day. What will save you from his wrath? That is the most important question that you can ask yourself. Now, as a Christian, you know that your sin has been dealt with. We have confidence in that. And yet, 
Sin is your biggest problem because it is the source of all of your other problems. Sin and its effects bring so many consequences. What are the wages of sin? But death, right? Death. Our family just went to a funeral yesterday, a funeral celebration of life, and a friend from college, and she was 29 years old. Sin is evil. Sin takes away a mother from a one-year-old. This is what sin does. This is what we all experience to a different extent. Wouldn't life be better if you could make all conflict go away? Wouldn't life be better if you could just take away all of that pain, all of that unrighteousness and injustice? Wouldn't life be better if you could just remove sickness, right, and there'd be no more? Life would be so much better. And that is the reality that awaits you as a Christian. That is what you can look forward to. Because the source of all evil, the source of all pain, will be dealt with forever. It will be done away with. Sin wants to defeat you. But in Christ, you cannot be defeated. In Christ, you have hope that sin may last for a lifetime but it will not remain forever. What is the opposite of sin but righteousness? Righteousness, the righteousness of God. Your hope is that righteousness will come, that Christ will put an end to sin and all of its effects, that there will be no more pain, no more tears, no more sorrow. All your enemies will be defeated. That's so much better than just to be mildly comfortable, isn't it? And that's what we look forward to, and that's what we strive towards. That's the hope of righteousness. And there's more. What's the second way that sin weighs you down? Sin weighs you down by the indwelling sin that you experience every single day. The sin that continues to live in you. It's somewhat of a dichotomy that you have to wrestle with because you know in your hearts, with, if you have faith in Jesus, you know that your sin has been dealt with. You know that if the enemy wanted to condemn you, he would have nothing to condemn you of because Jesus has paid the penalty for all of your sins. You actually stand justified. Right? You are, when Jesus justifies you because of what he has done, he is legally declaring you righteous. There is nothing that anyone can bring that can separate you from God. You are righteous. Christian, you are actually righteous because of what Jesus done, has done in you through faith. Do you believe that? And some of us struggle to believe that because of indwelling sin, right? We continue to live in sin. We continue to fail and fall short. And so it's like, how can I be declared righteous when I see all of this sin in me? Your righteousness is a present reality. You have faith for that. And yet, your righteousness is also a future reality. The fullness of your righteousness will not be realized in this life, but it will come. 
The truth is, you will not see righteous perfection in this life. No one will. If anyone tries to tell you that you can be perfect, tell them that's not what God's word says. So none of you will achieve sinlessness. That means that you will wrestle with sin daily. It means that your spouse will wrestle with sin, and it's hard, and it's painful, and we wish we could deal with it and not deal with it anymore. It's very easy to get discouraged when you see sin, right? Not just to see sin, but just to be discouraged that there will likely be sin tomorrow. That our mortal mortal bodies will continue to be plagued by sin and its effects. So it's easy just to despair when you think about your spouse hurting you and sinning against you, right? Again and again, it can feel hopeless. But how can you not despair? How can you not despair when you know that sin will still affect you and plague you? How do you not despair when the same sin struggles continue to be there and when your spouse continues to wrestle with and struggle with the same thing that he was wrestling with yesterday? What's your hope? Your hope is the hope of righteousness. Christ will end sin forever in you and in the lives of your spouse. Christ will deal with that. In heaven, you will not deal with indwelling sin anymore. All of that guilt, all of that heaviness on your shoulders will be gone. And so you press on. You press on when things are hard until that day comes because it will come. And your comfort is that one day you will not struggle with those sins anymore. And no one else will struggle with those sins. No one else can sin against you because sin will be defeated and righteousness will come. Which means, this is important, this this means that if you're struggling with sin, this is not evidence that you are lost. The fact that you're still struggling with sin is not evidence that God has deserted you. This is just the Christian experience, and God will help you. will never give you more than you can take. When that happens, when you're struggling with your sin, you feel like despair. Remember, this all points you to the fact that you need a Savior. You need a Savior forever. The third way that sin plagues you and affects you is that it keeps you from rejoicing in the things of God. All right, last week we discussed Christ and his advantages. And it is a delight to be in God's presence. So we should all be seeking him. But isn't it hard? You hear that on a sermon, you say, it's true. I should do better. I should seek God. And you might have a couple of good days where you're like, man, I'm really learning from God's word. I feel like I'm on fire. And then we all experience it where a few weeks go by and the next thing you know, it's just hard to do it again. And seeking God feels like a burden. Even when you have the best of intentions, you still fall short. You get distracted. Sometimes you're actually, best intentions, you go, you open your Bible and then your baby starts crying. Or maybe you still actually open it. You have time and you just have a hard time focusing. And you're like, 
how can I take anything away from this? It feels like my mind is not fully there and I feel like I'm not comprehending anything that I'm reading. You're reading and praising God and praying and your sinful heart tells you it's not a delight. By the way, if it's a struggle to find joy in the things of God, remember, this is an issue with your heart. It's an issue with my heart. It's not an issue with God. It's not like God has stopped being everything that our soul needs. This is an us problem. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. That is true. If we don't find it true, it's because we have fallen short. So the truth is that you are not going to experience the fullness of God's pleasure in this life. Some of you this morning are struggling just to seek after God and feeling like you're learning anything. And you will get glimpses, and God can help you, but it is hard, and that's what sin does to us. You should hate sin. When you're having a hard time seeking after God, hate your sin. You will get glimpses here on earth that are great and wonderful and make you love God and make you love others, but even that falls short of the fullness of what you'll have with God in heaven. Your hope is that one day, nothing will get between you and your enjoyment of God. Your ability to know God and to treasure Him will face no obstacles. You will dwell with your Savior. Church, heaven will be glorious. Absolutely glorious. You will experience the infinity of God's good attributes towards you in a way that your finite body cannot comprehend. And not just that, you're going to do it in a glorified body. A body that has been redeemed. And you will do it not just by yourself, but with the multitude of the saints who will be praising Jesus for all of eternity. Do you consider this? Because eternity with God is worth the wait. Whatever it is that you're going through right now and facing, eternity with God is worth the wait. It's worth the struggle. It is worthy of perseverance, even in this wretched life. Whatever you're, you're scared of for tomorrow, even if the worst case scenario happens, right? None of it will last. The only thing that will last for all of eternity will be Christ's righteousness. And so you can await for that day with hope. You can wait, right? Wait eagerly. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Now, there's a couple ways that you can wait. And how you wait actually does matter. And we all experience different ways of waiting, right? Let me give you an illustration. Especially for those of you who are in school, you know, maybe you're having a hard time with a class. And you're just waiting to hear whether you passed the class or not. And you're like, I feel like I may have failed. 
Isn't that waiting, awful waiting, the dread of things could go really bad for me? What about waiting to hear from the doctor? Right? When you, when you know that there's a pretty good chance that there could be bad news. And you're just waiting to hear the call. That waiting is awful. You're just like, please tell me now. I can't stand it anymore. That's one way to waiting. Now contrast this with Christmas. Right? Isn't just the anticipation of Christmas just great? And especially for kids, right? It's, if you, you know, I didn't grow up celebrating Christmas. I missed out on this. But many of you have this, this joy, this memories of waiting for the day when Christmas would come. And it's like, man, I cannot wait for Christmas to be here. And it's that anticipation and that waiting of, I'm eagerly awaiting for that day because it is going to be so great. There's that kind of waiting. Wait like that. Wait like that. Wait eagerly. No matter what happens now, no matter how awful things may get, wait for that day because it is going to be far better than Christmas. Jesus has come. And now you await for you to be able to spend all of eternity with him. So how you wait matters. Wait with hope, with an eager expectation and longing. And by the way, parents, teach your children to wait with eager anticipation. Right? This is a good practice. Teach them that they can actually wait for things and it can be a joy to them. And you're teaching them to wait for heaven, to wait for the things of God. Teach them that they can actually wait with faith. So are you eager for the things to come? Are you eager or are you filled with dread? If we live truly as we should as Christians, we should live with hope as we remember the future that awaits us. And if you're having a hard time, Again, sin will do this in us. How do you have this hope of righteousness? Through the Spirit, by faith. God has to be the one that does it in you. So ask him to help you. If you're having a hard time, if you're struggling, you're like, God, I just don't feel like I'm there right now. Will you pray and ask him to help you to wait? Because your call is to wait on God. Wait on God. Now, what does that look like? Do you just sit back and do nothing? Some of you men especially would love that to be the case. Sit back, no responsibilities. God will take care of everything. I just stand in the back and God will take the wheel. No, God has given you a mission in this life. Christian, how can you wait with hope? You live with faith. And look at verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Faith working through love. That is your call. Those are your marching orders. What matters in this life is not your work, right? It's not circumcision nor uncircumcision. Don't live for those things. Live with faith. 
and let, let your faith be evident because of your love. Saving faith is not dead. It will actually bring forth fruits of love that accompany it. And that's the point of James 2. Faith without works is dead. Faith without love is dead. Your works and your love are not what justify you. The instrument is faith. But faith that is living and active should actually bring forth works of love in your heart. And so my call to you this morning is to let your faith be visible. To let it shine before others. A faithful Christian does not just sit back and coast. A faithful Christian is not just content with the way things are. A faithful Christian will love. And that's because that's what his faith causes him to do. Church, where there is no love, there's no faith. And that's why I'm so concerned for many of you. You live for yourself. Your heart only cares about the things that matter to you. If you could have it your way, you would just live by yourself and for the things that bring you pleasure. There's little to no love for neighbor. Maybe there's love for people that you like, but for those that you don't like, there's just disdain. And encouraging you to do things for God and for others, it's like pulling teeth. Right? But it shouldn't be that way. Living faith should result in works of love. Oftentimes you can't tell the, fruit of a tr- the health of a tree until you see its fruit. And then its fruit will tell you how healthy the tree is. And that's the same with our faith. What fruit are you bearing? What fruit is your faith bearing? Where is your love? Is it cold? And if it is cold, you should recognize and examine. Ask yourself, where is your faith? Where does my faith lie? Is there love of God in your heart? How could there not be when you consider your Savior? Right? That ought not to be. Is there love of neighbor in your heart? Do you love the lost? Or do you just want to be left alone and do your own thing? As a Christian, you should feel genuine concern for the eternal souls of others, let alone those in your family. You should actually feel love and concern for your lost co-workers, your lost family members, your lost friends. And I'm concerned that some of you will go through life without really thinking about others and just think nothing of it. But what does that say about your faith? If you say you have faith, you have a mission from God. Let your faith work through acts of love. Because your works don't matter. At the end of the day, how much you know about God, how much you serve, 
how much you sacrifice, doesn't matter if there is no love in your heart. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but faith working through love. 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 What if you don't feel like it, though? And we will all get to those days when we just do not feel like loving others. Or what if it just feels too hard, like, can I really do this? Do you just try harder? You try, but not with your own strength, right? You have faith. Faith is the answer. You have faith in God. And so having faith means that you believe what God says, that it is more blessed to give than to receive, despite how much you want to receive. Having faith means that you believe that it is good to die to yourself as you think of how Christ died for you. Having faith means that you agree and you believe that living for yourself will lead to your death. Having faith believes that if you know that if you love one another, God abides in you and his love is perfected in you. So you just don't try harder in your own strength. You try because you have faith. And you believe that God's word is true. You fight your flesh knowing that it depends on God. Church, we have so much work to do in this area. We have a lot of work to do. As your pastors, we were talking this week. We want to exhort you. Your call is to grow in love for one another. for those outside the church too. But it begins with the church of God. If it's not happening to the church, we don't have confidence that it's happening outside. It's so easy. I find it true, especially myself. Maybe it's because I just hate winter, typically, that when it gets cold outside, I just want to retreat. I just want to go and hibernate and be at home and be with my family and, you know, people can wait I will just focus on my family and enjoy the blessing of my family and not really have to think about others, right? And we can make it sound so godly, too. We can be, well, I'm just focusing on my family, which is good, and yet, really, your justification is that you just don't want to love others. I feel it. You want to forget about others and their problems because it's messy. It's hard. It requires work. It requires you having to deal with your own sin, and that's hard. You're tired. You're weary. You just want to rest. Now imagine if God did that with you. Where would you be if Christ had not entered into the mess of your life? If God had not entered into the mess of this world and given everything of himself and died for you, where would you be? It's the love of God that frees you to love others. And so we need to grow as a church in this area. I know that our church, to many of you, it's been a blessing to you, and I praise God for that. Many of you have loved each other well, and there's some commendation to be done, and yet at the same time, there's a lot of places where we're falling short. Our love is seriously failing when it comes to love of neighbor outside of the church, it's so easy to just retreat into the church, right, and neglect the works that you're responsible for in the world. 
And in the church, many of us have gotten so comfortable with one another, and we don't want to do the work of loving those that are hard because it's become easy to love your church family. But many of you only love those that are easy to love. We do it like the world. What reward is there if you only love those who love you? What reward is there if you only love those that you have a lot in common with that you would be loving anyways, even if it required no sacrifice? That's not faith. That's not faith working through love. You may have great friends in the church, and you're just oblivious to the fact that there are many in our church that don't have that, that feel like they're alone, that feel like they're lost, and they just long for greater intimacy with God's people. There are many who feel like they don't know people in the church that well. Again, it's easy to love those who are like you. It's hard to love those that are not like you, those that take a little bit more work, those that take a little bit more patience. And true faith is shown when you love those that take a little bit more work for you. So let me ask you, when was the last time you had someone over to your house for dinner? When was the last time you invited someone over, a family over, just to love them and to get to know them, to be hospitable and just to pray with them? And again, not just the ones that you normally go to, when was the last time you asked somebody to go grab coffee with you just to get to know them a little bit better and to pray with them? When was the last time you tried to carry some burdens from your fellow brother or sister who's suffering? Again, I know many of you are doing this to an extent, but many of you too have grown complacent. And you think, well, surely other people are reaching out. Surely other people are doing it. My concern is for your heart. Where is your love? Where is your love for the whole body? Love as Christ has loved you. Christ has loved you in all of your sin. You can do the same for your fellow brother. And let me end with this. What if you feel like you are the one who is left out? Like, what if you are the one who's here sitting and is like, that is me. That's, I feel like I don't know people that well. I've tried, and I feel like I just don't have that, what I see other people having. What if you feel like no one is reaching out to you? What do you do? What's the answer to pretty much every other question I've given you today? You have faith in God. You have faith in God, because that's what matters. And how does that help you? Faith in God means that you care and you trust that God is caring for your needs when others can't. You believe that God is the source of your help. And so when you recognize that, you're free to love and extend love even when others are not returning it. Even if you're never invited, right, you don't get bitter. You keep on loving. You keep on inviting. And why? Because Christ has invited you to his table. 
because Christ does not despise you for your weaknesses. He's faithful to you. So trust that God will finish the work that he started. The church will fail every single one of you. The church will fail you. And yet you can still live with faith. So church, don't live for man's approval. Don't live to make friends. Don't live for what you can receive, but live for what you can give as you recognize how much you've been given in Christ. Give of yourself freely and sacrificially and don't expect anything in return. That is love. So have faith to love even if others don't respond in kind because you're doing it for God and not for man and your father sees it and he is pleased by your faith working through love. Let's pray. Oh Jesus, we thank you for the fact that when we are in your arms, we will never be lost. I do pray for those listening this morning, for those listening later on, if we have trusted in anything other than the work that you've done on the cross to save us and take the penalty that we deserved because of our sins, you took the wages of our sin and poured it upon yourself and you faced the wrath of the Father. If we have trusted in anything else, would you help us to examine that, that we may not fall away from grace and that we would trust and have confidence that if you have brought us into your family, that those who you have justified, you will glorify. So, Father, would you help us to look forward to the glorification? Would you help us to look forward to the hope of righteousness? That righteousness that is true now, but it will be realized in the age to come. Would you help us to live as Christians with hope and to eagerly await for your salvation? And, Lord, as we wait, would you help us to be men and women who show our faith through acts of love. Would we love you first and foremost? And as we think of your love, may that just overflow into love for neighbor, thinking about others and not just thinking about ourselves. Father, we are so sinful and you have so much work to do in us. And so we thank you for your patience. And would you, this work, would you do this work in us? Would you help us and equip us with what we lack? Thank you that it depends on you. And so would you get the glory in all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.